I once knew of a church couple who were very prominent in their local church. They regularly attended, hardly ever missed. The local church that they were part of was extremely generous. It was a fast-growing church, and so the pastors were always seeking the congregational needs to be met, and oftentimes the pastors would stand up and say, look around you, we're growing so fast that there's tons of needs. Now, there was a lot of wealthy people in that church, and there was a lot of people that were socioeconomically challenged, and so there's just lots of physical needs, and so it was not unusual for the church leadership to stand up on a regular basis and say, we need your help. And the congregation was extremely generous, and generous so much so that many people who had resources, it wasn't unusual for them to give stocks to the church or to sell land and give the proceeds or even a second home. They would sell it, and they would give it to the church because there was just so many needs. One Sunday, one of the pastors once again stood up and said, we, we just need to, to receive an offering, and if you can give generously, that would be great because there's just so many needs in the congregation. And this particular husband and wife looked at each other and said, okay, let's talk this afternoon about what we can do. And the conversation that afternoon went something like this. Honey, what do you think we ought to do? Well, I would love to give, but our business has been hit really hard this year. I don't see any way that we can match our past giving level. What about the property that Aunt Lois left us in her will last year? We could sell it and give the proceeds to the church. Well, we, we could give some of the proceeds, but not all of the proceeds our business right now really needs capital, and we have several house item projects that need attention. Okay, well, let's, let's do that and then give whatever is left over to the church. Well, but, but that would seem like such a small amount. What would people at church think? I mean, just last week, did you see the huge gift that Barney gave? Everybody was so excited when he presented his gift. We can't give less than him. We have an image to uphold in the church. Well, why don't we say that our gift to the church is actually the total proceeds from the land sale? I mean, with the economic downturn, people would probably think that land values dropped and that's all we could get for the land. But honey, that would be lying. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lying is a strong word. You don't want our reputation at church to suffer. Besides, we can make it up next year when the economy turns around and business is better. No one at the church will ever know. Now, how many of you know the couple that I'm talking about? It's from Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. These two people made a decision that they were going to sell property, give the proceeds to the church, but not all the proceeds, because they had their own stuff. 
but they willfully and intentionally deceived the church leaders by saying it was the total proceeds when it wasn't at all. And if you know Acts chapter 5, you know the story. It didn't end well for Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias came in and he laid the proceeds from the land sale at the feet of the, um, the apostles. And through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, what, what are you doing, Ananias? Is this, is this all that you receive from the land sale? Yes, it is. How could you deceive us? And how could you deceive and lie to the Holy Spirit? And unbelievably, Ananias just drops dead right there on the spot. His wife comes in a couple hours later, and the apostles ask her, so is this what you received from the sale of the land? And she's, yes, it is. And she unbelievably drops dead right there at that moment. I mean, the entire church and community were filled with awe and terror. For years I've been thinking about this story because it doesn't seem to reconcile with the grace of God. It feels like God went Old Testament on them even though it's New Testament church. How are we to reconcile this story with the grace of God? Why did God judge Ananias and Sapphira so harshly? There is only one possible answer that I can come up with, and it is the title of this message, why before what? Why always precedes what? Why we do what we do is always more important than what we do. Our motives matter most to God. This is the central theme of the entire Old Testament prophetic teaching. The prophets were constantly challenging wayward Israel by saying, you're doing the right things, you're sacrificing, you're saying things, you're doing things, but your heart is far from God. So much so that... Um, Psalm 51.17 says that the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. Oh God, you do not despise a broken and a sorrowful heart. What the psalmist is saying is you can do all the right things on the outside, but if you're doing them for the wrong reasons and your heart isn't pure for doing them, they just simply don't count before God. And here's why. Because God desires integrity. God desires authenticity. God desires that what's in our heart comes out in purity so that we as a church body are able to function with integrity in the world. You know why people look at the church and say it's irrelevant? It's because there's so much hypocrisy in the church that we're actually not functioning from a pure heart on the inside when our actions really don't reflect that. That's what it boils down to. So when we get to this last hard saying of Jesus, 
from Matthew chapter 6. I've often wondered why Jesus leaves this teaching last. Right? We've spent, this is now the seventh week, the hard sayings of Jesus. We've looked at seven hot topics that Jesus addresses. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why is this one the last one before Jesus changes and talks about a different topic? I think the answer is this. Because if you don't get this one right, none of the other ones really matter. So with that as context, would you please stand because we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 together. Jesus speaking, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to somebody in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to somebody in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Let's bow our heads. God, would you give us a word today that is so crystal clear about our motives? But even beyond this, would you help us to see your heart and the desire that you have for us to reflect your heart to a wounded and broken world so that as we move in our circles of influence, we move with authenticity and integrity and your kingdom is advanced. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I see three things from these scripture verses that I'd like to share with you. The first is why you do what you do is important because God knows your heart and judges your life accordingly. That is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says these words, but God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. Now there's a backstory here that needs context. Saul, who was the king of Israel at that time, pulled an Ananias and Sapphira. He was persistently disobedient to God. And as a result, God says, I got to pull you off the team. I got to put somebody else in. And so he tells Samuel, who is the last of the judges, he tells Samuel to go to a guy by the name of Jesse to go to Jesse's house. Jesse lives in Bethlehem. Jesse has eight sons. And he says, one of those sons is going to be anointed king. I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons, kings, right? So Jesse goes, uh, um, um, Sam. Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he says to Jesse, one of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse starts parading out all of his boys. Seven of the eight happen to be home. And each one of these boys, who are really young men, they look impressive. They look king-worthy. You know what I'm saying? They look like a king. 
And each one of them, the Lord says, nope, nope, not that one. Nope, nope, not that one. Nope, nope, not that one. And they go through seven of eight sons, and Samuel is so confused because he's looking around going, God, you've told me that one of his sons is, is going to be the next king, and I need to anoint somebody. And he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I have this, this last son, but, you know, he's out tending the sheep. Let me tell you about a father wound. A father wound is when your own father doesn't believe in you enough to go get you from the field to bring you in to talk to the last judge who has already said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons king. It didn't even occur to Jesse that David could be the king. So, you know the story. Samuel says, go get him. And they go find David, they bring him, and then he takes the oil and anoints him on the head, and it's kind of a secret anointing because Saul was still king for a number of years after that. But here's the point of the story. The point of the story is this. God looks at people's lives differently than the way we look at people's lives. We look at people and we say, oh, they're so terrific, and they're this, and they're this, and they're this, and they're this. And they may be all of those things, but God is saying, yeah, but I look on the inside. The most important thing about you is the inside you. That's why Proverbs uh, 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The inside you, your motives, your attitudes toward other people, toward yourself and toward God, are what's most important about you. You may have a lot of things going for you on the outside. You may have good looks. You may have a winsome personality. You may have wealth. You may have come from a great family heritage. You may have a personally powerful personality. All of those things, they're fine. They're good. But they're not the most important thing about you. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees and religious leaders had all the outside things nailed down. You know, the things that people valued most, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they, they had all of that. And yet their hearts were far from God. Matthew records a commentary on the Pharisees, and it says this. Everything they do is done for people to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So I'm in the middle of reading a book by Ken Blanchard entitled, Lead Like Jesus. And it's one of the best leadership books that I've ever read. And in this book, he talks about the importance of ego. E-G-O. But he uses the word ego to express two very different concepts. The first ego is what it looks like to edge God out. This person invariably always struggles with pride and fear. Pride for this person is always self-promoting. The prideful person has a hard time admitting that another person's ideas are better than their own. 
The person who is prideful thinks that they're always right. The prideful person has a Messiah complex thinking that they're the only ones who can save the organization or the institution or the institution cannot function nearly as well without them. They like being the center of attention. They do most of the talking. They take most of the credit. And prideful people usually demand special treatment. Blanchard goes on to say that the ego prideful person is a snob overemphasizing title, position, power, and education. This was the sin of the Pharisees. Looking good on the outside, but being far from God on the inside. But ironically, the Pharisees were also filled with fear. Pride and fear are the two primary qualities of an ego that edges God out. Well, how are the Pharisees filled with fear? Mark chapter 15, verse 10, is one of the most powerful scriptures that talk about the motive of the Pharisees. Pilate knew that the chief priest had handed him over, meaning Jesus, because of envy. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they knew who Jesus was proclaiming himself to be. They knew it. It wasn't like Jesus went to the cross because he was misunderstood. They knew exactly who Jesus claimed to be. The religious leaders were terrified of Jesus. And that's why they sent him to Pilate to be crucified. They saw Jesus' influence. They saw that the crowds were following Jesus. They saw that they were going to lose control. And the whole house of cards of Judaism at that time was going to fall. And they just couldn't bear it. Fear tries to control everything. Fear says, I must please that person in order for them to accept me. Fear leads to depression when other people don't give you enough attention. Well, why didn't they acknowledge the note that I wrote them today? Fear is addicted to approval and will do anything to get and keep it. Well, if I don't do this, whatever this is, they won't like me as much, or they may be mad at me. Fear is always shamed-based, and it always distorts truth. Fear says I'm a failure because my gifts weren't as good as somebody else's gifts. So that's the bad ego. The ego Blanchard talks about edging God out. But there's another ego that's a good ego, and that is exalting God only. This is the person who has the right kind of ego because they're doing the right things for the right reasons. Your heart reveals whether God is the object of your worship or not. If you are exalting God only, if your heart is turned toward God and your focus is on him, then God ends up being the source of your identity, the source of your security, the source of your self-worth, and the source of your wisdom. And you're living out of a humble spirit. And you're getting under God. And because you are under God, 
you're able to live confidently because of God. So let's just pause for a moment and ask yourself the question, as I'm asking myself the question, which ego are you pursuing? The edging God out or exalting God only? Let's do a heart check. Do you find yourself doing good things for people out of fear or pride? I have to, I have to do this to make them like me. Or I have to do this or they'll walk away from me. Or when you do something kind to someone, do you expect something in return or you get easily offended? I've actually heard people say that their feelings were hurt because somebody didn't send them a thank you note for the thank you note that they sent them. When do you stop sending thank you notes? Right? Why always comes before what? That's point number one. Point number two, what you do is as important as why you do it because God puts people in your path that need your help. Notice verse two, Jesus says, when you give to someone in need, don't do so as the hypocrites do. Okay, so why always comes before what, but that doesn't mean that what's not important. Why you do what you do is more important than, why, than what you do, but that's not to say that what you do is not really important, right? So let's bring it back into balance. Because we can be so focused, so inwardly focused on our motives that we become paralyzed and we'll do anything. Because we don't want to do, we don't want to do anything out of a hypocritical spirit. So we constantly stare at our navels all day long, going, I don't know. Am I doing it for the right reason? I mean, I want them to like me, but is that really the reason why I'm doing it? And so we just go around and we get into our heads so much that we actually don't do anything. So I've come up with a five question, thought, checklist that may help us out here with how do you know if you're doing the what for the right reasons? So here they are. Number one, do you have the resources, time, and ability to help? I think that's pretty important to ask yourself that question. I mean, if you see somebody in need, right, you have to ask yourself, do I actually have the time, the resources, and the ability to actually help them? So if you do, just check one. That may be the Holy Spirit leading me. Here's another thought. Have you prayed about it? Not every good idea is a God idea. Just because there's a need doesn't mean that you're the one who is supposed to meet that need. So are you leaning into the Lord and are you praying about it? And are you asking for God's wisdom in order to discern, am I the person that's actually supposed to help that other person in need? Just have you prayed about it. Third one, the people who need to know agree. Okay, what does that mean? That means that the people in your life who need to know that you're thinking about helping somebody else out, do they agree that that's a good idea? Just a simple example. If you're married, you probably should ask your spouse before you write a $1,000 check. Just a good idea. 
I've gone down that road, and it is not a good road. I have learned that. Right? Holly, what's this check? Uh, I felt like somebody needed it. Can we talk about it? I was afraid you'd say no. Yes, exactly. I always use this principle, green light, green light. If the person, if the person or people in your life who need to know what you're doing, if they have a green light and you have a green light, that's a green light. If they have an amber light, you have a green light, you should stop and think. If they're a red light and you're a green light, you ready for this? Your green light needs to turn red because the other half of you isn't on board. Right? Do the people who need to know that you're considering helping, are they on board with it? Four, you do it discreetly. Verse three, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you feel comfortable doing what you're going to do and you're doing it discreetly like nobody else is going to know? If you can do that with a free and open heart, I think that's a good thing. If there's something inside of you that's yearning to let other people know that you helped out in a certain area, then that's a red flag. And then lastly, would you do the good deed if no one knew or noticed? If you can actually in your heart say, I would do this, and if nobody ever knew that I was the one that did it, I'd be thrilled, then that lets you know that your heart is in the right place. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about that some people have an oversensitive conscience and they're always spinning in their head, questioning their motives. Come on, am I the only person who does that? Right? I do that. And I'm always spinning, thinking, am I doing this for the right reason? So I have to have my own checklist to be able to say, okay, Mark, where, where are my motives? Thirdly, why comes before what? What is still important? Number three, the goal of why and what is to play to an audience of one. Verse four, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. True story, a famous opera singer was invited to sing in this big city in front of a packed house and it was going to be one of those great nights. The opera singer was practicing for months and months and months for this one night. It got to the night and he sung his heart out and after he was done a standing ovation, people were yelling, people were screaming, people were clapping, and he had like five curtain, uh, 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 curtain, what do you call it? That's what I thought, but it didn't sound right at the time, right? And I mean, everybody's going nuts. And this opera singer 
walks off the stage, his manager is in the back, and his manager gives him a big hug and says, you were incredible tonight. And the opera singer says, it was a failure. And his manager goes, what are you talking about? You've had so many curtain calls. And I mean, it was incredible. And he goes, yeah, but did you see that guy in the front row? He wasn't clapping at all. He wasn't even standing. And his manager says, there are thousands of people in this audience and you're whining over one guy? And he goes, yeah, but you don't understand. That guy was my teacher. You play for an audience of one. All the affirmation you really need to hear comes from one person. That's it. If you get affirmation from other people, that's wonderful. That's, that's like, you know, icing on the cake. But you don't need that. Because if your ego is about exalting God only, then whether you get recognition or not, from other people, ultimately doesn't matter. It really matters that the audience of one stands up and applauds you and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things, and I will make you, I will give you leadership or charge over many things. So here's where this message of Jesus comes all the way around to this one question. Are you edging God out? Or are you exalting God only? And only you can answer that. Are you playing to an audience of one, your master, your teacher, your Lord, your Savior, your loving Father, the one who you have your identity in, the one who loves you, who wants you to hear these words that he said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. These are the exact words that your father wants you to hear from him. You do not, getting affirmation from other people is a wonderful thing, but you don't need that affirmation as long as your heavenly father is giving you his affirmation. So the question that I want to leave you this morning is, where is your heart? Why before what? Why matters because it reveals the condition of your heart. Now, sometimes the condition of our heart is not in the right place, and I get that. Sometimes we're just so tired of giving, giving, giving that we do things on autopilot. Today is about pausing and resetting and saying, right, right, right. I got to do the right things for the right reasons. Maybe you've been pursuing affirmation from other sources other than the Lord. This is an opportunity to reset this morning and say, all I need to do is pray, play to an audience of one. So I want to share with you my life verse, and then I'm going to close. I've had this life verse since I was 15 years old. 
is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now here's what I think about that verse. You'll never get too far off course if you let that verse soak deep into your mind and heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, let let Jesus step into your life in every area of your life. And he will make your path straight. Making paths straight is not the same as an easy road. We all know that. God never promises an easy road. But what he does promise is that he will give you clear direction as you walk into the future. And sometimes clear direction means this, just one foot in front of the other, not knowing where you're supposed to put the next foot. That's why we call it faith. But God has always promised to be with you, to walk with you, and to guide you. Would you stand, please? In just a moment, we're going to be worshiping one last time before we leave. But I'm wondering if during this last worship song, there may be somebody who would just want to come to an altar just to have a private moment. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to say, why are they going to the altar? But this could be your opportunity to just say, today I want to exalt God only. And you just want to give a praise to God and say, I affirm, God, that you are the center of my life and that this teaching resonates with me. Or maybe you need a course correction and you just want to take a step of faith to come to the altar to say, God, I got to sort some things out with you. I've gotten confused. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I'm listening to other voices in my head, but but I, I really, my heart needs to be revived today and refreshed. And if your heart needs to be revived and refreshed, then why don't you come to the altar and just in this last song, just take a moment to say, God, rewire my heart because I want to play my life to an audience of one. Lord Jesus, these next few moments, give us the courage to respond by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.